The other day, I guess it was Friday, my family, went, we went down and had lunch with a friend in Texarkana. Um, and we met with him, and uh, as he was on his way uh, up north, he stopped by, and we got to eat with him and talk for a little bit. See, if, a couple weeks ago, this young man was working at a camp down in Texas, and he was working in the kitchens, <clears throat> and uh, he's working over one of the, a big grill in the kitchen, I mean, cooking for a couple hundred people, and um, they, I think they were cooking breakfast, and they cooked some, up some eggs, and they cleaned off the grill and moved that round of eggs. They were getting ready for the next round of eggs, and he greased up the, the grill to do the next round of eggs, and he turned to set the oil down, and the grill exploded. I mean, just, it was him and another guy in the kitchen. And he called me a day or so later. I guess he got, this happened on Saturday morning, and he, he texted me Sunday. Um, and then I talked to him on that Monday. And he said it, it was him and this other guy in the kitchen, and the other guy told him later that the force of the blast was so much that it, it blew him back and down to the ground. And our friend was standing, I mean, he was, I mean, like this, to the grill. He was standing here, and it exploded. He said he, he felt the explosion, and he looked down, and his whole body was on fire. Like, not just his clothes, like his body was on fire. And um, he couldn't necessarily, he couldn't feel it in the moment, but uh, he, he could feel something was wrong. Um, so he immediately uh, ran out to the, uh, I mean, obviously he's on fire. He, he ran to the ice maker and just started putting ice everywhere he could. And uh, the people who were setting up for breakfast, for everybody who was getting ready to come into breakfast, didn't know necessarily something was going on. They just knew something had happened. But guys in the kitchen, they're loud and stuff. They didn't think anything of it and, until they saw him running around being on fire. And so they went, ran in to help him and got him over to the nurse. And he said he, then at that point on his arms and his legs, he could see you know, his skin bubbling and, and this stuff. And um, they got him to the emergency room and uh, uh, fixed up. And he told us yesterday, uh, there's two spots. I mean, it's all, I mean, you can see it on his arms and his legs. There's two spots on his leg, each leg. There's third degree burns, um, you know. And, and I was telling the boys, they were asking me about it yesterday, or I guess Friday after we ate with him. Um, that, I mean, it's not like, you know, sometimes you'll cut your finger or something and the pain will go away after a little bit. But with a burn, I mean, it's there. I mean, this happened two weeks ago. And he's still living with the pain. Um, but when I, when, he, when I talked to him on that Monday after he blew up on Saturday, uh, what he kept telling me was how faithful the Lord was. He said, because the grill didn't blow up as soon as he, they greased it. It blew up a few minutes, seconds later. So he was turned like this. And so his face didn't burn. He said, it burned a little bit here. He said, but the Lord was faithful in holding the fire back so that it didn't burn my eyes or my mouth or my nose. He said, Lord was, even though he's, I mean, he's telling me this when he, he was at home at that point laying on the couch, it hurt him to hold the phone to his ear. Uh, and he's telling me how faithful the Lord was in protecting him, even though his body is recovering from being blown up, that the Lord was faithful in protecting him. And uh, I, I was stunned, you know, I mean, stunned to hear that because, uh, you know, we had just seen him a couple weeks before that. But uh, just it, was, it, it blew me away to hear 
how his testimony was, God was faithful even in the fire. His body was on fire, and his response was, the Lord is faithful, uh, even in that moment. And so what we're going to talk about today in our scripture is what is faithfulness? What is faithfulness? That faithfulness, uh, as we're going to see in um, the life of Joseph here in just a few moments, from Genesis chapter 39, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Uh, If you're using a Bible on the rack there on the pew, it's on page 33. Uh, You can grab one. If you don't have a Bible, take that Bible home. That is your Bible. Uh, We've had several people take Bibles homes, and uh, Mike Vabora had to fill pews in this morning with Bibles because so many people are taking Bibles. So if you need a Bible, take that one home. It's yours. Um, We're going to be in Genesis 39, page 33, looking at faithfulness from the life of Joseph, but talking to our friend the other day about uh, just seeing him and hearing his testimony and the Lord's faithfulness. Uh, that question does come up, though. What is faithfulness? How, how is that demonstrated? I mean, we can hear a faithfulness. Sometimes we can say, oh, that person's faithful when we see it. Uh, but it's not always easy to define in specific terms um, the faithfulness, not just of the Lord, because the Lord is always faithful, the faithfulness in the life of a believer who will follow after God no matter what. And so we're looking at the life of Joseph in Genesis chapter 39, uh, and we've been looking at him for a couple weeks. You see, Joseph, uh, he was the 11th born son in this family, and his father, though, loved him like he was the firstborn. His father gave him all the rights of the firstborn, gave him the special gifts, gave him the special position in the family, uh, which back then, being the firstborn, had all kinds of special things that came with it. Uh, But his father loved him as though he were the firstborn and treated him that way. And his brothers saw this, and they hated him for it. And so because they hated him so much, uh, they ended up, you know, mocking him some, beating him some. They ripped off this special coat his father had gave him, uh, threw him down into a pit, and then they sold him to uh, some merchants who were headed down to Egypt to sell their stuff. And so Joseph then was sold by his brothers who actually wanted to kill him, uh, and he heard them talking about wanting to kill him. They sold him into slavery, and Joseph gets taken down to Egypt and sold down there as a slave. And now Egypt at this point in time in history was one of, if not the most powerful nation on the planet. They had the greatest army. There was no army in the world that could match their chariots. Uh, They were the best at all of this. But what went along with being the best is they were also known for being extremely harsh when it came to certain things. And so Joseph is taken down into this place he's never been, having been betrayed by his family, sold into slavery, into this very harsh climate. He has no idea what's coming. For anybody, you know, any sane person, this would be a hopeless scenario, circumstance, sold into slavery in this terrible place. All he's ever heard about this place is terrible things, and he's taken down there And he's taken, actually, to an official of Pharaoh. Look at verse 1. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. So Joseph is taken down. He's sold to the captain of the guard. This is an important guy. Uh, And and he buys Joseph to be one of his slaves. But Joseph was not alone. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw, now I do want to point out, 
Joseph's family back home where he came from were very wealthy. They had all their own servants. And now Joseph is the servant in the house of somebody else. And so I would think Joseph is thinking about how they treated their slaves and their servants and how this Egyptian is going to be treating him. Uh, This is crossing his mind as he is sold and steps into this guy's house for the first time. Verse 3. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So the Lord was with Joseph. Now that's a common phrase we're going to see throughout Joseph's life. The Lord is with him. The Lord is with him. Over and over. It's going to say, the Lord, we're going to see it in this passage a bunch. The Lord was with him. So much so that look what it says. The master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all he did to succeed. Everything he did to succeed. So any success that Joseph had was from the Lord. And it was recognized that way by his Egyptian master who didn't even believe in his God. His Egyptian master recognized that any success Joseph had was because of Joseph's God, not because of Joseph. Now you think about that for a second though. How in the world is his unbelieving master going to believe that Joseph's God is the one who's causing all of, this, all of the success? I mean, Joseph's not walking in there with a, you know, God is great hat or, or shirt and he's walking around and it, it just, you know, his master's, you know, getting it just osmosis, Joseph being near him all day long. There's only one way the master's going to know that Joseph's success is coming from the Lord. And that's because Joseph is telling him. That's the only way the master's going to get it. It's because Joseph is telling him, this is only because of God. This is only happening because of the Lord. The only way that this success is occurring, the master may come in and say, man, Joseph, everything you touch is gold, man. I don't know how in the world it's happening. The only way the master's going to know it's from God is if Joseph then says, well, it's not me, it's the Lord. And we know this is the case because Joseph does this later on when he's talking actually to Pharaoh. He says, well, it's not me, it's the Lord. And that has to come from a habit welled up deep within him. His faithfulness to God was consistent, but he's also acknowledging the Lord in everything he did. You see, because faithfulness is vocal. Faithfulness is vocal. That if if we're going to be faithful, we have to be vocal in that faith. We have to speak it, live it. It If it's If our faithfulness is so much in our mind, it will flow out of our mouths. Let me give you some examples here uh, from history. You know, it's been said that St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Anybody ever heard somebody say that? I've heard people say that. Well, the thing about that is St. Francis never said that. You know, just as Abraham Lincoln always said, you can't believe everything you read on the internet. St. Francis never said, three of you got it. St. Francis never said, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. He said, preach the gospel at all times. St. Francis was famous for saying, always tell people about Jesus. In all of his works, That's what was consistent through all of it. Tell everybody about Jesus. Tell them with your mouth. Because faithfulness is vocal. There's a quote. I had to look this quote up because I wanted to get it right. But there was a guy who was a um, faithful follower of Jesus in Germany under the Nazis. At first, he was very confused, but then he realized what was going on in his country. And he would faithfully preach Jesus even when the Nazis were sending 
you know, the Gestapo into his church. He would continue to preach Jesus. He spent seven years in two different concentration camps and just barely escaped the war alive. All his other preacher buddies were killed during World War II. But this guy made it through. His name was Martin Niemuller. I'm sure you're all going to remember that. I had to write down how to spell it because I never would have got that right. But he gave his testimony years after this about living through all of that and not realizing where things were going away from Jesus until they got away from Jesus. He didn't see it, and he didn't uh, uh, act like it until it was too late, until the enemy were coming into his church to throw him into jail. He didn't realize it. And so this is what he said. He said, first, they came for the socialists, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a socialist. didn't affect me. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. And he got taken and thrown in jail. See, faithfulness can't be quiet. Faithfulness can't be bottled up and only let out for an hour on Sunday mornings. Faithfulness is vocal. It has to be a part of our vocabulary in our homes. It has to be a part of our vocabulary when we're talking to the internet guy on the phone. It has to be a part of our vocabulary when we're walking into school tomorrow. It has to be a part of our vocabulary when all of the lines are full at Walmart and we're standing out in the aisle. Faithfulness has to be a part of who we are in every aspect. It has to be a part of the tone we use with our spouses and our kids. Faithfulness has to be a part of who we are in how we speak. It can't simply be something internal. Faithfulness is vocal, which is what Jesus said. The gospel, this is Mark 13, verse 10. The gospel must first be publicly spoken publicly spoken. Some translations say announced. Some say preached. Some say proclaimed. But the base root word in the Greek means publicly spoken. The gospel must be publicly spoken. That's how we tell. That's how it gets out. It must be publicly spoken. I mean, every one of the disciples, they weren't executed because they lived good lives. They were executed because they were enemies of the state. Because they told people about Jesus with their mouths, vocally. Faithfulness is vocal. Joseph finds himself in a foreign country, a slave. And the only way in the world that his unbelieving master is going to find out that he's a follower of the Lord is if he speaks it. Not knowing what that master's response is going to be. This guy could take me out back and just kill me right now. I mean, this is... Egypt, and this guy is an official in Pharaoh's, he's a captain of the guard, he's a big dog, he can do whatever he wants, I'm his property, but Joseph still has to speak it, because it's ingrained in who he is, and we see that throughout scripture, we see David speaking it to King Saul, we see Daniel and his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, speaking it in Babylon, and here we see Joseph speaking it as a slave in a foreign country, speaking his faithfulness. But his life of faithfulness continued. Look at verse 4. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him 
and, made, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all he had. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern over about anything but the food he ate. So the Egyptian, Potiphar, got to the point that he trusted everything that Joseph was in charge of because he could see that God's hand was on him. He could see that God was going to bless Joseph. He knew that it was the Lord who was working through Joseph. And so Potiphar said, all right, I'm giving you everything. The only thing I'm going to think about during the day at home is the food I'm coming home to eat. He was Baptist. The only thing I'm going to think about is the food that I'm going to get when I get home. That's all that's going to process in my head. I'm just, I mean, I know none of you do that, right? You go to work and all you're thinking about, what is for dinner? Oh, my goodness, I can't wait to get home and eat. I'm already thinking about lunch. I don't know about you guys, but I'm, that's what's going through my mind is, okay, I know it's in the fridge, and I know I'm going to get, I'm, mm, get that sweet baby raise. I'm going to put that on there. And if y'all don't have sweet baby raised barbecue sauce, you are missing out on something that is God-ordained. But Joseph is there, and, and Potiphar is only thinking about his food, and Joseph's in charge of everything, everything in the field, the crops, everything that's taking place in the house, in their finances. I mean, Joseph, his slave, is taking care of his financial situation, his portfolio, all right? And Joseph's got it all in hand. Joseph was being faithful with everything that Joseph had. The Lord's present with Joseph, his presence with Joseph was on full display for his unbelieving master to see. And it's because of the Lord's presence in Joseph's life and because of how obvious it was that Joseph's master, Potiphar, you know, uh, uh, saw him in a good light, in a positive light. And that resulted in this absolute trust that Potiphar had. You see, Joseph was faithful to the Lord, so Potiphar had full faith in Joseph in everything that he, he did, in everything he undertook. Joseph decided that he was going to be faithful, even though he'd been betrayed by his brothers, even though he'd been sold into slavery, even though he found himself in a terrible predicament, Joseph decided that he was going to be faithful, no matter what. You see, faithfulness is a decision to follow the Lord, not a response to my circumstances. Faithfulness is a decision to follow the Lord, not a response to my circumstances. Because if faithfulness is a response to my circumstances, the moment my circumstances change, my faithfulness disappears. So faithfulness has to be a decision. I'm going to decide today that I'm going to be faithful no matter what phone call comes this afternoon. No matter what my football team does. No matter what. No matter what the doctor says about somebody in my family. My faithfulness has to be dependent upon the Lord and not what this broken world is going to throw at me. My faithfulness has to be a decision. I have to decide ahead of time. Like, if I want to get up early in the morning and spend time with the Lord, I have to decide the night before. Because if I decide in the morning when my alarm goes off, my decision is going to be, yeah, I'm going to go back to sleep. <laughs> because again, I don't know how you function, but in the morning when my alarm goes off, my brain isn't necessarily working at full capacity, and I'm making decisions based upon how I feel, and how I feel is I'm tired. And so if I haven't made the decision the night before, I need to get up, I'm not going to get up until I absolutely have to get up. Anybody with me on that? I mean, tomorrow school's starting. There's, gonna, there's a deadline for some of you kids. You've got to get up when that deal's going off, or you're going to be going to school in your PJs because <laughs> you're going to school one way or another. 
um, you have to decide ahead of time. It's, it's, it's like loving somebody. You can't love somebody based upon how they act and how they live. Because if you did, you wouldn't love anybody. You have to love based on the decision you make. You love based on, I'm going to just love this person no matter what. That's why marriage vows are the way they are. Come sickness, come death, or until death. I will love you in sickness and in health. Whether it's bad or whether it's good, I'm going to love you no matter what. Because love is a decision to be made. Not whether or not your spouse took out the garbage, but whether you're going to love them or not. You have to decide that I'm going to love. In the same way, you have to decide I'm going to be faithful no matter what. No matter what. No matter what comes, no matter what people say, I'm going to be faithful. That's my decision. I mean, it's like in the Old Testament when when Joshua, uh, you know, he had conquered the land and the Israelites were all standing before him. And Joshua basically said, the Lord wants you to follow him, but I can't control you people. If there's anything Joshua in his, you know, many, many decades of walking with the Israelites, he can know he can't control these people. They're going to make whatever decision they're going to make. And so Joshua, Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to follow the Lord. You can do whatever you want to do, because I know you will. We're going to follow God. We're going to follow him until the day we die. And then we'll follow him in the afterlife. We're going to follow him. We're going to be faithful to him. We're deciding today to be faithful ahead of time. But there was somebody in Potiphar's house who was not so faithful. Potiphar's wife was not very faithful. See, she tried day after day to convince Joseph to sin. I mean, day after day, she nagged him. Uh, uh, She tried every strategy in the book to try to get Joseph to sin. But he told her straight out, there is no way in the world I'm going to sin against my God. It's not going to happen. And so she made up a story. She made up a story and began to spread the story around. Uh, But Joseph had already concluded, well, I can't control you. I can control me. And I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to be faithful. As Charles Stanley uh, would say, uh, obey the Lord and leave all the consequences to him. Joseph was going to let everything happen the way it happened. He was going to follow God, no matter what. Even knowing, telling his owner, his master, no, would be extremely detrimental to the point of death. But he was not going to be dishonoring to God. And so in the midst of all of that, Potiphar's wife starts spreading the story around. Look at verse 14. So she called the men of the household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought among us came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. He ran. He did. Has anybody in here ever had somebody say something about you that wasn't true? Ever? Ever? Did you want to immediately jump in their face and say, man, you are so wrong, and here's this reason, and this reason, and this reason, and this reason, and I hope all your tires explode. You don't get terribly maimed, but I hope something bad happens to you. You may not have said it that way, but you 
you, you ever want to go out then and immediately set the record straight and show them why they're wrong and say, you know, you are so wrong. You're not speaking truth. Jesus is going to get you. Man, I hope he does. You start reading all those psalms where, where David's really complaining about all those people who are out to get him. God, I pray you would knock out all their teeth. God, I pray you would, you, you would chop their arms off. And, and you, start, you, you don't read to the end of those psalms where he gets back to Jesus and wants you know, those people to come to the Lord. But uh, you just read the first part where he's all mad. Because you know, you're mad and you want every, everything you, you receive from other people, you just want to stoke your anger. And uh, Joseph, though, it, it has come to the realization particularly about Potiphar's wife, that he can't control what she's going to say. Sometimes people are just going to say what they're going to say, and you can't do anything about it. Even if you go point for point for point, and they may even agree with you, standing in front of you, and they immediately walk out and say something else. You can't control what they're going to say as much as you might want to. You can't. Sometimes people are just going to say what they're going to say. And you have to decide in the moment, am I going to be faithful even if they keep saying what they're saying? Am I going to be faithful even if they keep doing what they're doing? Am I going to be faithful even if they're telling people who can influence my life about what they, whatever they want to say? And it will be detrimental to my life and my family, but they're going to keep saying what they're going to say. Am I going to still be faithful in that moment? Or am I going to flare up and bow up and go toe-to-toe with them and display something that may not honor the Lord in how we communicate what we communicate? Joseph decided to be faithful even though Potiphar's wife was doing what she was doing. Even though she was saying what she was saying. She was gonna leave, he was going to leave the consequences to God because he trusted the Lord. And so look what happened. Joseph, Potiphar's wife tells this story to Potiphar, captain of the guard. Verse 19. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. So he grabs Joseph and he throws him into prison. Joseph went from betrayal to slavery to prison. It's like a downward spiral here. And he finds himself in a foreign country, falsely accused, in a prison cell. Because of the action of other people. He didn't do anything to deserve being betrayed. He didn't do anything to deserve being sold into slavery. He didn't do anything that he should have gotten punished and thrown into prison for. All because of stuff other people did, all that stuff was happening to him. And he finds himself there in an Egyptian prison, just feeling as though he's going to rot. But again, just like he found when he was first sold into slavery, Joseph was not alone. Look at verse 19. As soon, uh, or not verse 19, I'm sorry, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. Verse 23. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. Whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So we find a repeated pattern of what happened when Joseph was first sold into slavery. It becomes so visible to the keeper of the prison that the Lord is with Joseph 
that he puts him in charge of the whole prison. Have you ever heard of a prisoner being in charge of the prison, being the warden? I've never heard of a prisoner being the warden, being the prison manager. But that's what they did for Joseph. Because there was something special about him, something unique. The Lord's hand was on him in a special way. Joseph was being faithful to God. And again, being vocal in his faithfulness, having decided to be faithful. And, and it was visible that he was this way. And so they put him in charge of the whole shebang. Just didn't hide his faith. But look at what, how it's described. Uh, verse 21. The Lord is with Joseph. The Lord showed Joseph favor, or steadfast love. Uh, and the Lord gave him favor. And then down to verse 23, the Lord's with Joseph. The Lord made it succeed. What's common in all of those things is it's the Lord doing it. Again, it's the Lord who's doing it. And Joseph is acknowledging the Lord's hand in all of it. The Lord showed, the Lord is with, the Lord gave, the Lord was with Joseph again, the Lord made it succeed. Anything good that came from Joseph was from the Lord. And, the Lord, and Joseph made it known that anything good that came from him was from the Lord. You see, because faithfulness is humble. Faithfulness is humble. Faithfulness cannot have an ounce of pride in it anywhere. It has to be defined by humility. But humility is also not a belittling attitude towards yourself. It's not saying, humility isn't necessarily, hey, I am terrible, I'm awful, I, 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 I am the worst of the worst. That's not humility. That's not humility. What humility, biblical humility is always pointing to Jesus and never to myself. Biblical humility is always pointing to Jesus and never to myself. Kind of like John the Baptist. He said, uh, he must become greater and I must become less in the sight of himself, in the sight of others. It must be all about Jesus. He, not, he, he must not be self-aggrandizing, pulling himself up, saying, look at me, I did this, I deserve this because of my education. I deserve this because I put in the, the days and the weeks and the years work. I deserve to have this. You need to recognize me. It's always about pointing to Jesus. Jesus even said this when he was praying in the garden. John, maybe 20, no, not, not, not John 22, maybe John 20, somewhere in there. Uh, Jesus praying in the garden, praying to God. He said, not my will, but yours. God's will, God's plan, God's glory, not my own. You know, there was a time in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12, when somebody took God's glory instead of giving God credit. His name was Herod. You know what happened to Herod? The moment he took credit for God, Herod was struck dead. You know why? God said he was eaten by worms from the inside. Herod died. God put worms in him to eat him because he did not acknowledge the Lord's role in his life. He took all the credit for himself, and Herod died. But Joseph knew anything good that came from him was because of the Lord, and he wanted everyone to know it, even his Egyptian slave master, even his Egyptian, you know, the guys in charge of the prison, the keeper of the prison, it says. He wanted them to know, it's not me. It's not me. It's the Lord. Later on, Pharaoh comes to him and says, I hear you know how to interpret dreams. And Joseph says, I don't know how. The Lord does. It's not me. <laughs> I'm not a guy who can interpret dreams at all. It's the Lord. See, sometimes 
We, we will do things in our life, maybe even have dreams, and we will do things in our lives, and we'll say, well, I know how to do this, or I know how to communicate that, or I understand this, when in truth, it's not us at all, it's the Lord. If we ever take credit for it, then we're in severe danger of taking the glory of the Lord away from him and assuming it's all us and not him. You see, Joseph was faithful even in betrayal. Joseph was faithful even as a slave. Joseph was faithful even in prison. He was humble. He had made the decision to be faithful. He was vocal about his faith. He acknowledged the Lord's role. <laughs> you know, there's, when we, if you don't, uh, if you haven't been here very long, my wife and I, we have five children. Um, three of them help with our, our technology stuff. Right now, this, right now, two of them are. Liam's here on the front. Uh, Caleb's in the back room doing the switcher for video. Reagan's over here on this camera. Two of them are back there with the children, Hope and Ethan. Um, but inevitably, uh, we would, after one of our children was born, we'd be at the hospital, and uh, I'd send out a text or I'd call and say, we had the baby. That's me taking credit for something I didn't do, right? Can I get an amen from the moms? That's me taking credit for something I didn't do. Katie did all the work those days. I was just sitting there. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Uh, that's me taking the credit for her doing all the work. And we do that with the Lord. I, I'm not going to speak for you again. I do that with the Lord many, many times. Taking the credit for something that's really him. I did this. I did that. Look at how good this thing was. It was my idea. When in truth, anything good that comes from me doesn't come from me. It comes from the Lord. Anything sinful that I do comes from me, 100%, 200%. Anything good comes from the Lord, and that's how Joseph lived. He acknowledged who really did the work, who really was the one blessing. Joseph did that. And so we have to remember these things. Faithfulness is humble. Faithfulness is humble, always, always pointing to the Lord. Faithfulness is vocal. We have to speak it. We have to speak it at any moment we can. And faithfulness is a decision to follow the Lord, not a response to our circumstance. You know, I heard a pastor say it this way yesterday. Uh, he said, the greatest testimony we can have isn't that you got pulled out of the fire, but that you faithfully went through the fire and didn't smell like smoke like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You faithfully went through it. You walked through it, and you didn't smell like smoke. You didn't let the circumstance pollute your faith. Your faith got stronger in the process. It got stronger as you walked through it. So we have to decide to be faithful no matter how much heat the fire of your circumstance rages against you. We have to decide to be faithful no matter what comes, no matter what is said, no matter uh, how, how life circumstances in this broken world may seem to debilitate us and want to weaken us and break us in half, we have to decide to be faithful even in the midst of that. We have to decide to be faithful. Make that decision to be faithful. So you have to decide today, sitting here in this room or watching online, will you choose faithfulness today? Will you choose faithfulness in conversations you have today over lunch? Will you choose faithfulness as you go to your small groups? 
Will you choose faithfulness this afternoon when you want to take a nap and that person keeps waking you up? (laughs) Will you choose faithfulness tomorrow when you may not be feeling very faithful when you got to get that kid to school and that person in line in front of you at the drop-off is, you know, not doing what they should be doing in the drop-off and you're under your breath saying things about them. Will you be faithful even then? Will you be faithful? Will you choose faithfulness? Always. See, to be faithful, to, to, to have faithfulness, you first have to have faith. And so maybe you haven't had faith yet. Maybe you've tried to demonstrate it. You, you tried to act like it. But the faith has never been there because you never believed in Jesus. And so you have the opportunity now today in the room watching online. Will you believe in Jesus today? Will you start your faith process? Will you believe? Will you trust him? Believing that Jesus is God's son. That he died so all your sins would be forgiven. And he rose from the dead so you can live after you die. Will you have faith in that today? See, in a minute, I'm going to pray And I want to talk to you if you make that decision. If you're in the room, even if you're online, you can click. There's a button right below watching online that says, I have decided. Click that button, and uh, it's just a little short form. Your name, phone number, or email, and then what your decision was. And I will contact you this afternoon. Maybe you're in the room, and you feel a little uncomfortable. Maybe you're not used to church, and it's it's kind of weird, uh, and you, you don't know what to do. Well, go to our website. It's right right on the main page, dequeen.church. You can see it there. Uh, I made a decision. Click that, and it comes right to my phone, and I will contact you today, and we'll celebrate that decision. But if you want to make a decision for the Lord, now's the time. Do you want to begin your faith journey? Now is the time. Have faith today. And then there's, there, there, there's next step. What do I do next after I believe in Jesus? Well, Jesus tells us that after you believe, you need to be baptized, showing the world you belong to him. If you want to be baptized, we can take care of that. It's going underwater, coming out of water, demonstrating what he's done for you, getting a new life in Christ. So you're baptized. Then what? Then what? Well, you join a small group. You, the small group will help you grow. You, you give. You, you, you find a place to serve. We've got all kinds of places to serve in the church that we can need people to help with, uh, to help bring people along in the journey and point people to Jesus. Um, you tell people about Jesus. If you want to know any of this, I want to talk to you. We're going to do a, uh, uh, an informational class, I think, in September, kind of a new members class. You, you're wondering, what does it mean to be a member of the church? We're going to talk about all this in that class coming in September. Uh, and uh, you can find out more information. But if, if you want to make a decision for Jesus today, don't wait till tomorrow because you don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. You don't know what's going to happen on the way home. Make the decision now. I want to follow Jesus. I want to have faith in Jesus. I want to know what it's like to live faithful for Jesus. Because the thing is, he's always faithful. Always. No matter what I've done, no matter what I've thought, and he knows all of my thoughts, he is faithful to me in spite of me many, many times. He's faithful. My life should be an imitation of that faith. It should be humble, faithfulness. It should be vocal, faithfulness, and it should be a decision to be faithful today, no matter what comes. Will you be faithful today?